This is Tales from the Pros, where business leaders and influencers share their struggles, successes, and inspiration. And I'm your host, Michael Giorgio. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Tales from the Pros. Uh, this is Michael Giorgio, Chief Marketing Officer and Co-Founder at Imagine Ovation here in Raleigh, North Carolina. We actually have a very, very special guest here today. His name is Justin Miller. CEO of WebPix. Uh, WebPix is actually a personalized photo sharing platform for weddings uh, developed by Deja Me. Is that your company that's basically yep. overseas, uh, WebPix? So, welcome. Really Thank appreciate you. it. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, Justin, give me a little bit, just kind of tell everyone about a little bit about yourself, about WebPix, how you guys started. Yeah, so yeah. I think it's a, it's a pretty fun and unusual story. Um, Myself, I'm a designer by trade. I actually graduated from the College of Design at NC State University back in the early 2000s. Pursued a career in graphic design at IBM out in RTP. Um, I realize I don't really look like the corporate America type, but I <laughs> found a nice home there. Um, end of 2010, I was at a concert and at the Cat's Cradle in Chapel Hill. Okay. I'm a big guy. When I go to a show, I stand in the back. Um, I'm watching everybody in front of me holding their phones up taking photos and videos and thinking this is an amazing show. Mm -hmm. I know the couple people with me, but I don't know anybody else. What if there was a way that I could see all of these photos and videos again? Um, you have to also think pre-hashtag days, because now that problem is more or less solved. Uh, so the idea was born. Uh, the original product was called Deja Me, which happens to be the company name. Okay. And the premise was to enable people to collaboratively share and interact with each other's photos without necessarily knowing one another. You and I could be at the same show, the same event. We each take photos, upload them, and we can see each other's content. But again, no friending, following, etc. Mm -hmm. We ran that for about a year. Um, we had some early success with it. We actually were able to take the product back to IBM, knowing that there was a big void for them uh, with marketing events, for example. They spent tens of millions of dollars on these marketing events. And after the fact, they had no way to easily aggregate everybody's photos and videos. So we were able to take okay. the product back to them, signed several big partnerships with them. And we thought, hey, you know, we may be onto something. Concerting was a little harder to get into just because that's it, a tough nut to crack. Mm -hmm. um, and so we started doing the corporate thing. We realized while it was interesting, it wasn't really a feasible idea in terms of reaching scale. So we started thinking about internally, where else could we apply this, this concept? And we were looking at all of these different scenarios and we stumbled a, a, upon weddings. And we said, you know, the makeup of a, of a wedding is actually really similar to a concert. You have a group of people, typically 100 plus people, who may or may not know one another, but they all have that common thread of the couple, mm -hmm. much like the common thread of the band. And weddings are an event where people take a lot of candid photos and videos. So we're going to introduce a way to easily uh, acquire all of that, easily aggregate all of that into one private album together where people don't have to know one another. Kind of like an essentialized location. Exactly. Awesome. But, but all of that media goes into one private album, ultimately for the couple. And so okay. in late 2012, we shifted our focus from concerts into weddings and we launched WebPix in August of 2012. Uh, I think one of the, the funniest parts about the, the whole story is when we originally were coming up with the idea uh, of weddings, we were still working in my basement, and uh, <laughs> where, which is where we started the company. Typical startup yeah, story, right? Always exactly. in the garage, the basement. 
That's awesome. Um, and it was, it was a, mainly a bunch of, of single guys who knew nothing about weddings, certainly knew nothing about wedding planning. Mm -hmm. But we said, here's an idea. Let's go into this market. We don't have to know anything about it. Yeah. And let's see what we can do. And, uh, and, and I would say the rest is, is history. That's cool, man. That's awesome. I love that. So did you always, so before WebPix, did you always see yourself as like an entrepreneur or, you know, starting a company? What were your aspirations growing up? Or did you, like for me, I never ever thought I would own a company. I thought, man, like, you know, I'm gonna, I wanted to work at Puma or mm -hmm. Nike. That was like my dream is to do sports marketing. Yeah. I never really knew I would ever be an entrepreneur. It was kind of a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Was it something like that for you? How did, how did it happen? No, I actually, as a child, I was always, I loved cars. And I grew up uh, in, in a smaller town and there was a couple people that had Ferraris. And anytime I would see one of these people, I would say something to my dad about it. And he'd say, oh, that's a, that's a cardiovascular surgeon. So growing up, that was my goal. I want to mm -hmm. become a cardiovascular surgeon. I want to have the Ferrari. By the time I got to high school, I realized that I was really passionate about art design. And I ultimately decided I wanted to go more into the advertising world. Okay. Um, I can't deal with surgery or hospitals or anything yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I decided I want to go into the advertising world. Um, went and wound up getting into the design school here at State, which is a super competitive school, but it yeah. was a great opportunity. Got a great program here. Yeah. Explored the different um, facets of design and realized that graphic design was probably my best bet if I wanted to really make a career out of design. And that ultimately landed me my gig at IBM. Worked in a group that was more or less like an internal ad agency. So great exposure doing mm -hmm. stuff both externally for IBM, like I would do a lot of the design you see on IBM.com's homepage, okay. but also internally. So a lot of the internal campaigns and events, uh, networking with uh, you know, external agencies and, and whatnot. Um, really great experience. And, and there came a point where I said, I want to do more. And for probably two years leading up to when I ultimately elected to leave and start my own company, I was thinking about different kinds of ideas for, for a startup, even though I didn't really know what a startup was then. Um, not necessarily app-based either. Thinking about maybe website or things on the web or even looking at physical products mm -hmm. and ideas there. Um, but when I came up with the concept, which originally was Deja Me with the concerts, that was an idea that I started talking to people about and every person I spoke to about mm -hmm. it said this is something that, that could really work because it felt to them like I had created a solution for a problem that they had experienced. Yep. The issue was at scale, it's not really that much of a problem. At the end of the day, most people don't leave a show and think, man, I just missed out on seeing everybody else's uh, photos or videos. Also thinking, you know, 2010, 2011, camera phones weren't that good. Cameras in general weren't what they are today. So a lot of the content that you would see is this sort of half blurry, mm -hmm. you know, stuff that you say, oh, this is garbage. Um, whereas I think the differentiator when we got into WebPix was that we really were solving a problem that existed. The solution yep. was more or less the same, but with WebPix we showed the problem that we could latch onto was the the fact that people were still buying disposable cameras and putting them on the table at the reception. So the thing that clicked with people instantly, and this ultimately became our one-line pitch, mm. was ditch the disposable cameras, use WebPix. And everybody instantly got that concept. 
Uh, wow. There was no explaining. Whereas with the concert, it's you go to a concert, you're watching people take photos and videos. Where does all that go? Here's a way to, to put it all together. You know, it's multi-step. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that was really the transition. But I going back to what my passion was with design, I think that ultimately helped sh- uh, uh, shape the company, shape mm-hmm. the product. And, and even though we knew nothing about the industry that we were entering into, we knew how to build a beautifully designed product and something that was very functional in terms of how people would use it. And that helped us accelerate early on, uh, thinking about what, did, what does it take to get somebody to adopt your platform? What does it take to keep them uh, engaged with it or, or, or you know, retention? What does that user retention look like? All of that ultimately can be attributed to design. Cool. So I, I know you mentioned before that you guys are solving a problem. And I'll tell you, and the reason I was kind of nodding is I 100% agree with you. Like, if you listen to a lot of these top CEOs, these business leaders, entrepreneurs like Mark Cuban or Gary Vaynerchuk, right? They say that the startups that actually work are the ones that are successful, the ones that actually have a problem to solve. Mm-hmm. They don't just do it to do it to make money. They don't right. do it to get fame or to, you know, to, to get their name out there, whatever it may be. They're actually trying to provide value to people. They see there's a gray area in the market mm-hmm. and then they try to they fill it in. Seems like that's what you guys did. Yeah. Yeah, it was that's pretty pretty yeah. awesome. And did you did you know like at that time, you know how many how many years ago did you start? You said when did you start Webpix again? Webpix launched in twenty twelve. Okay, so five years ago. So five years when you had this idea, were there any competitors or were you guys one hundred percent unique? So no, we were actually not first to market, and I think this is this is a, something that I, I oftentimes speak to to younger entrepreneurs yeah. about. I think people oftentimes have this misconception that you have to be first to market, otherwise it's no good. Mm -hmm. But in reality, don't be first to market. You never want to be first to the party. Let other companies or other platforms validate the space and then jump in and do it better. And that's That's exactly what we did. So at the time of uh, of launching Webpix, I would say we were one of maybe six to to 10 uh, wedding photo sharing companies. And some of them already had decent traction. And what we did differently, and I, I think this was, again, going back to the way that we designed it, the, the overall UI and UX of the yep. platform, we created something that was super simple and something that felt like a, a hybrid between uh, Pinterest, Facebook, and Instagram. Okay. So we simplified all of those, uh, the, the working function of all of those, and we applied it to this platform. and. What, what we saw happen, when we look at the demographic that we were targeting, really broad demographics. So you have teenagers up to grandparents mm-hmm. possibly touching this either on the phone or on the website. We had to create something that felt like something that they were used to using. Mm-hmm. So that was, on our part, very uh, strategic from a design perspective because this enabled people to launch WebPix for the first time and it felt like something that they were used to using. So I wouldn't say that we were the best designed app when we launched or the most beautiful app, yeah. but we were certainly the most functional because we eliminated that, that learning curve when people got into the platform and that quickly enabled us to, to watch people uh, continue, you know, they would continue to come back to the platform, continue to use the platform. Yeah. And it, it really was imperative to get that uh, up front and have something really simple and then build on top of it. Uh, also, I would say an interesting story is the transition from the Deja Me app into Webpix. With our first app, 
being super newbies in the app design world, mm -hmm. we came up with all of these different ideas and we were throwing all of the ideas into this app. This is 2011. We even had this thing, uh, this augmented reality filter inside of the app where nice. you could hold your phone in directions of different venues that mm -hmm. people had uploaded media, photos and videos, and you could see a picture over top of that, vi of that venue wow. of what was the latest piece of media uploaded. Seemed incredible, right? Mm -hmm. No one knew how to use it. No one knew what that did. So it, it was completely worthless function. So when we were building out WebPix coming out of Dejami, we spent weeks and weeks uh, as we were developing it out, erasing feature sets that we knew how to build, but we knew should not go into V1. And V1, the product that we originally brought to market was the most simplified version of the app that we could make. If we removed one more, pro, uh, pro, um, one more feature set from the product, that it probably would have failed. And so we got it to the bare minimum, and then we built back up. On it was top like of your it. MVP, exactly. Okay. But where you know the, the big difference between the first app and the second app was we we scaled it way down. The first app when we built out the um, uh, the, the framework for it, mm -hmm. I think we had like seventy eight unique screens in it. Wow. When we launched WebPix, we had something like sixteen, and that was it. Nice so, and simple, yeah, to the point. Exactly, cool. and and we approached it much in a much more um, calculated manner. Mm -hmm. The first app, again, being naive, thinking if we, we built something really cool, it's just going to explode because that's what happens, right? You launch something cool and everyone loves yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Not really the reality. So, <laughs> uh, you know, we were really calculated in terms of how we um, how we continue to evolve the platform, mm -hmm. feature sets, how we would market it, etc. Yeah, I, I I can definitely I love what you said before about um, when you guys when you came up with this idea for WebPix, you were not threatened by the competition. Mm -hmm. You kind of just you, you knew you would you knew you would offer something a little, little bit different than your competitors. Right. And I can definitely relate with that because when we get a lot of like for my company, we get a lot of startups coming to us and they say, Hey, um, I think I have the next Facebook. I have the next Twitter. I have the next Uber. Right. Right. Everyone has the Uber of yep. something, right? Of course. So, you know, for me, I always tell people this is like uh, for aspiring startups, entrepreneurs, I always say, guys, you don't need to be the next Facebook or the next Beyonce or the next Kobe Bryant or the next, you know what I mean? I think having something, even if you have a pizza shop, mm -hmm. I always tell people this, you, even if you have a pizza shop and you have a unique process of how you treat customers or something that makes you a little bit different, you're still entrepreneurial. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so I like how, I, I like when you said that. And also um, the fact that, you know, when you have competition, for me, at least in my experience, I see that as there's a demand in the market. Mm -hmm. You know, you let other people kind of test it out and you know, there's competition. That's actually good. That means there's demand. That means there's right. an audience for this. Otherwise, these five or 10 other companies would have never started this mm -hmm. and continued. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. I like that. Um, so did you, when you were younger, um, you know, and you, I'm sure you had previous jobs. I know you mentioned that you never really thought yourself as a, as kind of a, a future entrepreneur is that so when you were basically when you were growing up did you ever I mean d did you ever see yourself as kind of starting something like this like not wet picks but I mean even just starting a company like yeah you know what I mean like so my goal for a long time was actually to own my own ad agency and I think through my entire life I've always been more so the leader than the follower mm -hmm. and just for my personality and, and I think that is ultimately 
a, a key component to being an entrepreneur is mm -hmm. having that those leadership qualities. Yep. Um, and and so being a tech startup entrepreneur may not have been on my radar a decade ago. Right. But doing something where I was the it was my uh, entity at the end of the day. Yep. Uh, what certainly was. Cool. Um, so jumping a little bit here in regards to, um, I know when, you know, when you came in here, we're talking a little bit about, I saw that you guys were funded here, mm -hmm. you know, you're definitely funded, which is, which is amazing. Give me, uh, talk a little bit about that. How did that, how did that all work when you, when you guys started, did you knew, did you know that you were going to require funding or did you want to bootstrap it yourself or just grow it organically? How, give me a little yeah, so insight about that. The funding piece is always a very interesting, uh, part of the story. I think for any, any startup. And I also think that there is, there is a false, um, uh, uh, or let's say it rather false. There's a certain stigma associated with raising capital, mm -hmm. uh, and we'll we'll touch on that. But yeah, yeah. So early on, um, our goal was to was to create a consumer focused product and not not focus on revenue in the beginning because all of our attention was on user adoption okay. and retention. Yep. And we saw revenue as a major threat to both of those, so we removed it for the time being and just focused on getting people into this platform. And the number one question is, well, how do you make money? Mm -hmm. We don't make money, but guess what? We're in an industry where the average person spends $30,000 on their wedding. Chances are we'll be able to figure out some way to take mm -hmm. a few of those dollars at the end of the day. So totally free platform in the beginning. Uh, we went ourselves, we funded it. Um, when I left IBM, I liquidated my entire 401k, wow. all of my stocks, and put it into this company to start it. And I also had to give myself a small nest egg because I went with no salary for almost three years. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate to be able to do that because of my previous career. Um, but I, I think that that also creates a, a drive in a person yep. where failure is not an option. Uh, just a quick tangent, yep. a lot of early entrepreneurs that I speak with um, tell me that they've got this idea and they start talking to me about this idea and they're working on it on the night, uh, at night and on the weekends and they still have their main job because they need to get paid. And you know, that's great and I'm, I commend them for doing it, but that's a hobby. That's not, you're not, that's not it's a not full time. It's not a company. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the moment when you have no safety net, that's when it becomes a true startup. And that's when you, there, there's a switch that flips that you will figure out how to make this work. Mm -hmm. And we've gone through this many times where we feel that we are at the end and, and we're doomed, uh, whether it's with Deja Me or with Webpix, and we figured out how to, how to turn something and keep going and build the momentum back up. But it's this sort of, fight, call it fight or flight mentality. Um, so early on, uh, myself, my co-founder, uh, we, we put a bunch of capital in and then we had friends and family that put capital into these. Is it just you and one other person? How yes. Okay. Two co-founders. Cool. Um, and we, we, uh, we had friends and family, um, uh, give us some investment as well. Actually pretty significant. Uh, I think we raised about. 700k from friends and family so wow. i mean it was it was a lot and this was over the course of about two a little over two years okay um and you know these were people that believed in us believed in our ability to execute yeah um a lot of them had never invested in anything tech before but thought it was a really interesting and fun opportunity and you know i had to make them promise me that 
if they never see a dollar again, that we can still be friends or yeah. you know, that this wasn't the, the end of the road for us. And it's, it's a tough thing to take money, to take blood money. Uh, you know, you take money mm-hmm. like that and it's, it's I've, I've totally heard more stories. I've heard them. <laughs> um, but that's how we started. Yeah. And then once we got to a point where we could tell a story with data that was exciting and we could start to show trends and how this platform was working, mm-hmm. that's when we went out to raise our first, what we call a seed round. So angel led seed round. We went out and, and targeted a million dollars. We wound up raising 1.1 million. And this is after, obviously, off, after you had a proof of concept. Yep. You had some credibility. After. You had some users. You had data. Exactly. Correct. This is okay. when WebPix first launched. Okay. There was a great validation point to the story of fundraising where about six weeks after we launched, The Knot, which is XO Group, public company, mm-hmm. largest player in our space, saw us. But randomly, the COO happened to use WebPix at a friend's wedding, which was literally a wow. month after we launched. So of the, call it 300 weddings that we had on the, in the database, she happened to be at one of them and, and used the platform. And all of us were at this wedding show in Las Vegas together the next week. So she walked by our booth, stopped, said, oh wow, I just used this product, this is great, let's talk. Next week, my co-founder and I are in New York City in their office. Uh, the entire exec team is sitting around this big boardroom table with us. And they're giving us an offer to acquire the company, and we thought. And how many how many years uh, after was this, this is, started? This is like seven weeks after we launched Webpix. Wow. So we had nothing. I mean, we had minimal numbers. Everything was was. That is insane! Tiny. Wow. And here we are. We have the biggest yeah. company in our space that wants us. And also, this is eighteen months after Deja Me, the first app, where we watched that continue to go downward mm-hmm. because it was truly a, a you know non sustainable product. Um, and now we have this huge player targeting us and ultimately the numbers didn't work. Great opportunity. We were going to get some cash. They were going to relocate the whole team to Austin, Texas. It was kind of cool, but we used that as validation for investors to say, Mm -hmm. look, we, we have the biggest company right now coming after us. Give us some money and let's build this thing up. It's, it's, if you watch the the show, Silicon Valley Mm -hmm. first season, when yep. he has Hooli and, and Peter <laughs> yes. Gregory going I love after. that show. Yep. It was, you know, that couldn't be more accurate mm-hmm. to what we experienced. Um, and so we went back to these investors and we raised capital from the from these angels, $1.1 million. Got some great people around the table, a lot of local tech guys and then folks from sort of different areas of the country as well. And um, and all of a sudden things were, were, were exploding for us. Um, and that's around the same time we got kicked out of my basement. We got our first big piece of PR, um, which was the local news and observer. They did a full page story on us. What is it like NC TechWire? No, not like... them, the, the okay. actual newspaper. Gotcha. Full page story, front section of the tech section. Next day, somebody comes and knocks on my door and gives us an eviction notice. 30 oh days God. to vacate my basement or they're gonna start finding us $500 a day, Whew. which is how we wind up downtown in the co-working space. Um, but so now we raised funding, we got our first real office, things were starting to progress, even though it Come wasn't together. like the yep. most natural sequence of events. Um, but when you raise capital, suddenly the, the stakes change for you. Um, you are, uh, you're, you're viewed much differently. You have people that you now answer to. So even though it's your company, yep. it's not really your company anymore. There's well, other they're giving people. you all this money, you have to report to them. They Correct. Have to- Yep. Correct. So it, it's a really interesting and, and uh, there's certainly 
a massive need to do that in when you're a company that is pre-revenue that's folk has a, a specific focus in mind mm -hmm. but in hindsight you know i think there's some really interesting opportunities that just bootstrapping it yourself not having to answer to anybody um that but I mean, you grow slower sure yeah um i think you can really argue both sides mm -hmm. um we're at a point today where all of our focus is on revenue so it's a totally different um, mm -hmm. different story today than it was even a year ago or 18 months ago. Um, but you know that, that was something that was critical for us early on. And then with our subsequent rounds of funding, we next, after that 1.1, we did 1.5, we brought some venture capitalists in, and then the next round we did seven and a half million. Um, so further expanded out our, our investor group. Um, got great investors from all over, from the Bay Area, from New York, um, Chicago. Wow, so, so it wasn't just local. Country. No. Was um, I would say of all of our capital raised to date, about 50, 55% has come from out of state. So, I, you know, I think great, um, uh, it, it's a great um, piece to the story yeah. to say that we were able to, as a pre-revenue B2C uh, social company mm -hmm. in Raleigh, North Carolina, bring millions of dollars in from Bay Area investors or New York City investors that's who would traditionally awesome. not touch this area. Yep. Um, so, you know, that's been fun. But venture capitalists or angel investors? Oh, venture capitalists, angel investors, gotcha. et cetera. Cool. Um, probably our most notable investor to people who are not super deep yep. in the tech world is uh, Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank. She's an investor? Yeah. So we wow. were not on Shark Tank. But uh, her and her business partner saw us on AngelList. We were raising some capital there through this you know, crowdfunding platform and uh, reached out to me and said, we'd like to lead this round for you. Uh, lead this ask rather than um, the ask was gonna be part of a larger round. And, uh, and then they wound up investing alongside of that. So pretty cool. That's awesome. When's mm -hmm. the last time you saw Barbara? Never. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's- uh, But I you have met her. No, uh, email. That's gotcha. it. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and she probably uh, invests in a lot of companies, right? Yeah. 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 So it's it's like it's a cool story, but it, no, that's it awesome. Sort of has like uh, falls flat, but at the same time, uh, <laughs> the the best thing I would say is is my mom is a huge fan of Barbara Corcoran, so yeah. I had her autograph a book and write something to my mom for her birthday one year. That's cool, yeah. man. So you know that was worth it, I guess. Uh, but um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting though in terms of how the dynamics change within the company from the point where you're raising, when you're running it yourself to when you start raising capital friends and family and then when mm -hmm. you start raising capital from more seasoned or sophisticated investors and just sort of how the bar continues to rise. Um, I'll tell you the, the biggest shift in our company as a whole was after we raised our B round, the seven and a half million um, at the end of 2015, that was a, a a really big change in terms of what the expectation was now of the company. Mm -hmm. Earlier mm -hmm. on, we'd have board meetings where everything is great in every board meeting. Great job, product's great, keep up the good work, yep. pat you on the back and you go on your way. Well, you don't really continue to accelerate as a company when that's what's coming back to you from the investment group. Where we saw ourselves really take off was when the board started coming down on us on a monthly basis. These numbers are good, but they could be way better. Why is this not happening? Why, what is happening here? Explain and who's the, this. And who's the board? Is it all the investors? So no, the board uh, today is made up of, there's four board seats, and then we have three board observers. So four, okay. four voting people. Okay. 
it's myself and my co-founder and then two different venture capitalists, one that led our A round, one that led our B round. Um, fortunately for us, we, ha we all have been in agreement throughout the course of this company. That's good. Um, yeah. And so we've never gotten into a critical bind um, but I've certainly heard horror stories about that happening and, you know, people not, uh, founders not being aligned with their investors mm -hmm. or vice versa. So, uh, it's been good in that sense, but the board holds us to a very high standard and it has in turn produced a product that is exponentially better today than it was you know, three, four years ago. Wow. That's pretty amazing. I love the Barbara thing. Yeah, <laughs> I've never met anyone that was in, uh, that had Barbara as an investor. That's 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 amazing. So, um, are you looking for more rounds? No, funding? no. Or we're, you think is there... uh, we're at a point today where, uh, as I mentioned before, we've really shifted our focus as a company from being just about user acquisition to now revenue okay. generation. So, to give you some numbers, um, we got to a point last year when we were marketing really heavily. Um, where we were hosting over 10,000 weddings every weekend. And this is global. Uh, we have a, a bridal database of over 1.2 million brides have signed up for WebPicks. And we have a total database of over 7 million users. Um, and so, you know, huge numbers. Yeah. We're able, I'd say one of our mo most notable st stats is that today I can acquire a wedding for less than a dollar. That wedding is, is going to be made up of the couple plus, on average, anywhere from, call it seven to 20 plus guests. All of that comes in for less than a dollar. When you look at that relative to folks like David's Bridal, for example, yep. they're paying $60 for that same wedding. Shutterfly pays $50 for that same wedding. Even Macy's pays $35 for that same wedding just to get them to sign up on their registry. So we can acquire a wedding at a fraction of the cost. Mm -hmm. And we have this really long life lifespan with them. Um, the other piece is really interesting in terms of the usage of WebPicks. Most companies in our space, heavy usage pre-wedding, more or less die the weekend of the wedding. Whereas with WebPicks, that's where we accelerate as from the weekend of the wedding beyond. So we have this really long post-wedding tail mm -hmm. with lots of active engagement. People continue to upload photos, yep. download, comment on, etc. And so in the last, call it 18 months, we've shifted our focus now into, into revenue and thinking, okay, this sub $1 wedding, what can we ultimately extract back out of it? And so we started with prints. Prints were the most, uh, we, we called it the least intrusive way for us to test revenue in the platform mm -hmm. because prints really go hand in hand with photos, right? You upload photos, high resolution, here's a great opportunity to print them, have them sent directly to your door. Um, printing in a variety of sizes, currently offered in 13 of our countries. Um, most recently, we, we launched photo books, so we give people the ability in a very simple manner to create a photo book of all of the content that's being uh, uploaded into their album. So today, my sub $1 wedding on average is generating over $6 in revenue. Okay. That's across all weddings. But if we look at just weddings that are, are uh, converting on a monetary basis, over $40. So I have sub $1 to bring them in and they're generating over 40. So that has become the story that we're pushing today. Mm -hmm. And our goal for 2017 has been to, to get us to a point of break even if not profitable. So huge swing from last year where last yeah. year was all about volume. Yep. This year is still significant volume. We're still hosting over 5,000 weddings every weekend. 
uh, you know, spending minimal dollars this year, but showing that we have a product that we can continue to grow from a revenue standpoint through these, I would call them lightweight offerings right now. Mm -hmm. um, we also have digital upgrades, so people can use WebPix totally free, or we can give them a one-time purchase that makes the app that much better. Removes ads, gives you high-resolution downloads, unlimited hosting, etc. Yeah. So it's um, you know we're looking at different ways that we can continue to monetize the audience mm -hmm. and and thinking about um, opportunities beyond just the user acquisition funnel. So your investors must be pretty happy now that yeah, you guys are yeah, starting to kind of break even and right make, now. Make <laughs> I'll put the asterisks yeah. that we're still not at a point of break even. So okay. we still are burning capital on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of, you know, you have the timer with the sand that's tipped Probably over. Probably pretty stressful. Right? Yeah. So times, it's, yeah. it's, even though the mentality has remained true to the initial <clears throat> focus mm -hmm. uh, back when we launched, we're at a point now that we have to shift it dramatically and quickly in order to keep moving forward. And uh, I think that that was... I would attribute a lot of that to the board and to the investors and looking at uh, the, the external market as well. Thinking about today, the value of an eyeball today, or call it a pair of eyeballs today, is not what it was two years ago. Um, it's been diminished because you have so many companies that focus just on user acquisition or just user base. Yeah. So me telling you that I have a product that has 7 million users today is not worth a fraction of what that was worth two years ago. But to tell you that I have 7 million users of which the paying weddings are generating over $40, that suddenly becomes a much more interesting mm -hmm. uh, piece to the story. Do, do you guys think like, so I know you're based here in Raleigh, but do you ever, I wouldn't say, I'm not going to say regret because I love Raleigh. I think this is the next, I mean, I think this is going to kind of become, it's a huge tech hub. It's going to become like the Silicon Valley of the East Coast in due time. But essentially, do you ever wish that you started another city? Are you, are you, are you happy that you guys are blessed that you're here? Mm -hmm. Or do you ever think like, hey, I should have started New York, Chicago, or you know, Silicon Valley, San Francisco? The Bay Area was always something we considered. Um, uh, there's certainly pros and cons. I'd say one of the biggest pros here is your access to talent and the minimal amount of poaching that you see happen between companies. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you, we have a pretty tightly integrated tech community and, um, and, and I see people look out for each other more so than try to uh, step on each other to continue to, to move forward. Um, I think that's a great feature of this area. The cost of living is, is great. You know, when, whenever I talk to companies in the West Coast yep. or Northeast, you know, we, we operate at a fraction of the cost that they do, and we can deliver a product that's as good, if not better, than what they're delivering. Um, I'd say, for me personally, one of the biggest drawbacks is just access to capital and access to strategics. So I can't just go out and grab a drink with so-and-so because that person doesn't exist here. So all of my mm. meetings have to be much more calculated than on the fly. Um, that, in hindsight, would have made things... Uh, I don't want to say easier, but it would have given uh, probably more opportunity as we've continued to grow as a company if there was easier access to those types of people. Um, and then I think for WebPix specifically, because we're such an outlier to this area, mm -hmm. again, consumer, pre-revenue, social, mobile yeah. company, you really don't have that here. Uh, and so we would be much more in line with companies that are in the Bay Area or companies that are in the Northeast. So. 
you know, it, I, I think there's definitely pros and cons. Um, but it's uh, all in all, I've, I've really enjoyed growing the company here. It's great that we can be have this uh, big fish in a small pond type, um, yeah. uh, you know, exist that way. And, and so that, that's been really good. You definitely, I, I definitely see you guys as like an asset to the community. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? This kind of booming company, you're giving back, uh, you're solving problems. Uh, you're able to do podcasts like this and presentations, which is pretty, pretty cool, man. So, um, so, you know, long story short, you guys have an awesome, you know, you have an awesome application, awesome business model. Um, seems like you know where you're going. Um, uh, you know, I, I think, I, like I said, I talk with a lot of different companies and you seem like you have all your ducks in a row. Um, but with that being said, you had to have overcome a lot of struggles. Mm-hmm. Like what struggles did you think, what struggles did you really have to go through that made you who you are today? Um, and I would say, what struggles do you think that you're going to be facing in the future? Yeah. So personal struggles, um, you know, liquidating all of my finances to put it into this company, including selling my home and, uh, in, in North Raleigh and moving into this tiny little rental and, uh, outside of downtown, um, you know, in, in having to drastically change my own lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but but it's because this is what I wanted to do. This is what I was passionate about, yep. and this became my baby. Um, from a company standpoint, uh, I think I think the struggles you look at it in a couple different ways. Financially, we've been at points where we've been literally less than a week away from running entirely out of capital, and every time we've been able to somehow pull a rabbit out of a hat and be a an investor calls literally in, in the 11th hour and says, all right, I'm ready to lead this round and let's do it. And then everybody else jumps in right after to us figuring out uh, you know, a revenue, unlocking something with revenue that suddenly skyrocketed our monthly um, revenue coming in. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, those are always huge challenges. Finding the right team, assembling the right team. The team I have today is the best team I've ever had in six years of doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've gone through a lot of other people and team sizes fluctuated tremendously. Um, Scaling it, all that mm-hmm. as well. Yep. Growing it up, yep. bringing it back down. Yep. Um, looking at the types of people that are around the table today versus who was around the table last year, two years ago. And, and um, also thinking about uh, our ability to retain talent earlier on when we are still fairly new. Mm-hmm it was easier for people to want to just jump ship and you know i lost people to facebook or to yeah. other startups in the west coast or um uh well, even one other person you know, a person wound up going to a, a larger corporation here in this area so you know that's that's certainly a, a a massive hold that that forms when you have a team of 13 people and all of a sudden one person is going to be gone in two weeks and you have to figure out how do I fill that? Mm-hmm. And, and how do I fill it and keep, continue the momentum and not have to be held back because suddenly I have to train a new person or, or things like that. So um, I would say those are probably some of the biggest struggles. When we look at, uh, from a team perspective, when we look at the platform, looking at competition that's coming out, be it in the direct space or indirect space, indirect space called Instagram, when they continue mm-hmm. to create feature sets that make it harder for us to identify as a, in a, as a unique competitor. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but at the same time, we still offer something that uh, people want specifically for their wedding. It's, I've always used the, the analogy that people could buy their wedding cake at the grocery store, but there's a reason that wedding cake companies exist. It's like you're in this 
um, in, in this, this market where everything that this couple wants revolves around the wedding itself and everything that they want to touch is wedding specific. Um, so I, we niched out, right. We have that niche, advantage, yeah. but you look at, at big companies that acquire a partner with competitors. Those put, you know, when the not, for example, after we turned down their, their offer, they partnered with one of our competitors and we had this certainly had this Oh shit moment that, uh, you know, they, the biggest company now has a product that is a, a com competition to us and they have the firepower and the, the ability to really move this thing. At the end of the day, it didn't do anything. And ironically enough, about 10 months later, that competitor came to us saying they were out of money, asking if we wanted to acquire them. So, Whew. you know, it's, it, it, you have some funny things like that that happen. But um, I think the challenge is always going you know, continuing to be continuing to move forward, mm -hmm. continuing to stay true to your vision and, and, and be focused. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to hear, especially as you raise more capital, as your company gets grows, you have lots of people telling you what you should be doing or their thoughts on things. You have to be able to regulate that information and, and, and continue to stay true to the course that you set out. Um, there's lots of times where you can think, oh, what if we did this instead or what if we went this way? Um, so yeah, I, I think you're going to see challenges and we face challenges on, on multiple fronts. And I think at the end of the day, um, a, a proof that you are not only a, a strong leader, but that you have a, a really strong team working with you um, is in your ability to continue to execute down that same path. So. You know, with uh, what I found really cool is uh, when I, I saw some of your other uh, presentations and podcasts and you were talking about the not story. I found that to be really cool because it seemed like money wasn't definitely money's not the factor. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, it seems like you want to build this into a brand. You guys want to really you don't have a I mean, what I'm trying to say is like you don't really have an exit strategy right. or it depends on the dollar value. Right. You so. Know? Always have an exit strategy. Okay. <laughs> um, I think it's important to go into any company thinking ultimately what do you want to do because if suddenly the question is posed, you want to be able to have an answer. If you go into a company and you don't know what you want to do and somebody comes along and offers you 10 million bucks tomorrow, mm -hmm. what do you do? Do you take it? Do you keep growing? Do you want to ultimately take the company public? Do you want to yeah. be self-sustained? So I think it's always important to have that at least in the back of your mind. Um, the not deal, you know, one of the main reasons it wasn't it wasn't enticing enough for us to pursue it, being what we just went through or looking at what we just went through, um, and also thinking, for me personally, I had just come out of corporate America. Now, eighteen months later, do I want to go right back into corporate America yeah. and not have anything that was really life changing attached to it? You know, it would have been a fun like, oh, I had this great eighteen month experience, but here I am working for. A large company again um, and I, I think more than anything that became just great validation so I think looking at opportunities like that as validation um, validation to investors validation to employees validation to the market um, I think that's that's really important mm -hmm. do you do you feel that you have to in order to be a I would say a, a successful entrepreneur a business leader uh, in your community, do you have to represent? You to have to basically have like certain qualities that makes you a business leader, like passion or hard work, or do you think it doesn't really matter? You think it's a cluster of them? You like what qualities do you think really 
guides you to being a, a successful business leader? Yeah, I think it's it um, goes back to what I was saying previously with your ability to stay true to to the mission and, mm-hmm. and true to the, the, uh, be able to focus on what it is that you've set out to do. Um, I think the retention of the folks working with you uh, is a great sign of that. I think your ability to continue to grow and and um, and succeed is is also a, a great testament. Um, but as a business leader, you know, I just sort of look at myself as the person who's the one person on the, in my company that's willing to go out and do interviews mm-hmm. and and be the 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 front man of the company, face and, of the company, yep. exactly, and and raise the capital. And but all of that is attributed to everybody that's working behind the scenes, mm-hmm. uh, because without any of those people, I have nothing. I have a story, but that's about it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the, the leader is the person who um, maybe doesn't necessarily have to be always at the front, but the person that continues to keep the pack cohesive. Mm-hmm. And continues to keep everybody driven to move forward, and to keep everyone excited about what it is that they're doing. Um, and and at the end of the day, the person who is bragging about what everyone else has accomplished, because again, it's like the, the they're the reason why this works, not me. Mm-hmm. And you know, do you where do you feel like so? If uh, for me at least, I see that there's a lot of. I mean, there's so many startups that are, I mean, there, everyone has, a lot of people have startups nowadays, you know, that you're yep. smiling, right? So um, everyone has a company, everyone has a startup now, uh, which is amazing. I see that as, I mean, that's very inspiring. I think that's good for the country. But do you feel like, like, where do you feel the market is headed in regards to building a business, starting a company right now? Mm-hmm. Where do you think it's headed? Do you think it's harder to start a business right now? Or do you think it's easier? Like, I think it would be easier just because it would, there's so many more tools you can use yeah. and there's so many, there's a lot more opportunity, but is it harder because of, is it saturated? You, you yeah, know so, so I, I would say that it is definitely easier to start a business, way harder to grow a business um, because of the competition, because it's there's a lot of people, it's a very noisy space now being an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, it's imperative that those who are interested in starting a business really have a problem that they're solving, that they're bringing a solution to the table to something that is a true problem, not something that is, you know, a, a, oh, this may be a problem, or I think that I have had that problem once before, because otherwise you're just gonna waste a lot of your time and most likely money doing that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's important, more, more so today than it was, even call it five years ago, to really refine what it is that you're solving yep. um, and, and having a really keen understanding of, of that problem solution. Um, and and having it having an idea of how it is that you want to move forward, um, what does it mean to bootstrap and and get to a certain milestone and then go after capital mm-hmm. or have capital up front? I think far too often um, early stage entrepreneurs will think I have to have X number of hundreds of thousands of dollars in order to get this to to yeah. the next level. Right. It's like what if you don't? Um, I'll tell you an investor. Uh, once told me, and this is, I would say, one of my, my greatest pieces of advice when I talk to folks from mm-hmm. a financial perspective. Anytime you build out a model for your startup, <clears throat> doesn't matter what stage you're at, you build it out in these three sectors, bone, muscle, fat. 
And so when you're thinking about how much capital do I need to move forward, what is this company going to take for me to get from point A to point B? You do it under each of those models. Bone is the absolute bare minimum. Okay. You take any more pieces out of it, it falls flat. Muscle is going to be your bone plus some. Fat's going to be if everything is exactly as I want. I'm operating in a very frothy manner. Um, and I think that that's really important when you think about, uh, especially early stage entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and what they need to do to get to that next level. And and I always push people to operate on that bone mentality until they reach a critical set of data points, call it critical scale or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, once that has been achieved, then look, how do you advance to that next level? But all of that can't be housed under one, um, you know, one assumption because I think at that point, uh, you're really setting yourself up for failure because you've got it all, all in one basket. Yeah, so, so you feel like that a lot of startup or someone who has an idea, they want to start a business, do you think it's really, uh, I would say it makes a big deal if they know how to grind it out in the beginning? Totally. You know, because you ever, I mean, for me, like I've seen so many different business leaders that I'm not going to say any names, but it just feels like they didn't really put in the work. It's like, Wonder, like how the heck did they get right. did they get there you know what I mean we all right. we all know some, someone like that um, but I, the ones I really respect are the ones who man they grind it out like they mm. know how to work hard yep. it doesn't matter like we talked about there's competition you're not scared of it you're willing to do whatever it takes right. you're out you're the CEO you're out in the front you know doing presentations podcasts you're pitching to investors you're the face of the company um, you're you're probably doing some grunt work at the office too mm-hmm. I'm sure you know we all do that but it shows that you're really willing to do whatever it takes to make this thing successful and provide value and to grow and yeah. to scale. Um, so I guess you can agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Well, no, Justin, this has been awesome, man. Uh, just to kind of uh, close some closing remarks, um, where can people find you? Twitter, Facebook, website? Yeah, yeah. so uh, WebPix and WebPix app um, are gonna be all of our social channels. Um, me personally, I'm Justin Miller. Uh, typically, I just tweet about stupid things and lots of animal. Like, <laughs> I happen to have a couple dogs. I have a pig and I have some chickens, so I tweet about them a lot. I think I did see some <laughs> pigs on your on your Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, everyone, thank you very much again, Michael Giorgio, CMO at Imagine Ovation, and this is Tales from the Pros. Thanks, Justin. Really thank appreciate you. it. Thank you, Enjoyed buddy. It. All right.